We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha and welcome to the Layman's we Lounge podcast, which is a ministry of the laymanslounge.com. Um, we exist to bring everyday theology to encourage Christians for everyday life. I'm Jason Estopanol, a business process analyst and a YWAMer in Kona, Hawaii. And that's Joe Humphreys, an appliance salesman in Mount Vernon, Washington. What's up, Joe? Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Can't wait. Yeah. On the other line, we have Dr. Michael Horton. That's right, Dr. Michael Horton. He's professor of systematic theology and apologetics at Westminster Seminary, California. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Whitehorse, Inc., which includes the following. It's home to its namesake, the White Horse Inn radio show and podcast, Modern Reformation Magazine, the Campaign for Core Christianity, and the Global Theological Initiative. He's also also a minister in the the United Reformed Churches. Aloha, Dr. Horton. Aloha, Jason and Joe. Thanks for making time for us. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, so he's author, um, editor, co-author of you know dozens of books, and I just wanted to give you some of these names because you could literally judge these books well by these names. And please grab these ones. Here we go. Ready? Core Christianity: Finding Yourself in God's Story. Next one: Pilgrim Theology: Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples. This one we love. Ordinary. Oh, ordinary sustainable faith in a radical restless world christless christianity the alternative gospel of the american church and then he's the editor and contributor to the eye-opening book christ the lord the reformation and lordship salvation whip and stock publishers 2008 and then finally the last one we're going to mention is the two volume set justification new studies and dogmatics zondervan academic 2018 so today we're talking about justification union with union with christ defining some terms and asking deep questions as well as um uh, that lend themselves to practical daily reality that lived out and then before i jump in um we are right in the middle of our seven days of glory blessing beatdown, where we're giving away seven books for seven days um, we've teamed up today with the good people of Zondervan Academic, where they are giving three people each the um, uh, will win a set of Dr. Horton's two volumes. So that's only six books, but um, we're gonna they're gonna throw in the extent of the atonement for one of you guys. So anyway, so go over to laymanslounge.com or Facebook or Instagram to enter that free books coming at you. So Dr. Horton. What is justification? Is it a process or an event? It is an event. Thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the process is called sanctification. We're, we're gradually being conformed to the image of Christ. But, you know, to stand before a holy God right now, looking at me and the, the progress that I've made in the Christian life, uh, I am I'm thrilled to death that the Lord doesn't look at me on that basis. He looks mm-hmm. at me on the basis of what Christ did. The fact that Christ was obedient to all the Father commanded him to do. He was the last Adam who fulfilled everything that Adam failed to do 
and he did it for me. He was crucified for our sins and was raised for our justification. Justification means to declare righteous, not to make righteous. Oh, that's huge. So it's to be declared righteous, not to be made righteous, because I don't feel very righteous ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we are growing. In, I mean, anyone who's justified, as you know, we're, we're, we experience slow growth. It's like watching corn grow. But we are growing, but we're not growing in our justification. That is 100% complete, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, given to us as a free gift through faith alone. Mm. In, in the book, um, Christ the Lord, we've mentioned above, you said, <clears throat> wherever the church becomes unclear on the doctrine of justification, strange notions appear. What, what would you say are sort of the prevailing strange notions that the average rank-and-file Christian operate in? And, and what specific truths need to be recovered and, and placed back there? Great question, Jason. I think you know, I grew up believing in forgiveness of sins. I did hear that. Uh, Jesus forgave my sins. And so whenever I sin again, I just go to him and I confess it, and then I'm forgiven. It's a wonderful truth. Forgiveness of sins is a wonderful truth. But justification is even better news because it's not just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I'd never sinned and had perfectly kept God's law, loving God and my neighbor from my heart, from conception to the end of my life. God views me, Mike Horton, a sinner, as righteous, as holy, as just, completely. And it's all because Jesus Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. I think a lot of, you know, my wife says the same thing. We never heard about imputation, that Christ's righteousness is credited or imputed to us. We're forgiven, at least for the moment. You know, that's what happens when you don't have justification. Every time you sin, you, you feel like you got to do it all over again so you can yeah. get forgiven all over again and so yeah. forth. Um, justification is, is a status. It's something that we have before God. If we don't have that recognition that Christ's righteousness was imputed to us, we're, so the glass isn't just half empty for, or, or empty because of forgiveness. It's, mm. it's got to be full. To stand before a holy God, we have to be holy. We have to be fully righteous. Mm -hmm. And justification is what gives us that confidence to approach him boldly. I think in terms of what kind of takes away from that, um, one, the gospel assumed. We just assume, oh, yeah, well, there's that. Right. We don't really know what these doctrines mean, but we really love Jesus. And... So that's one of the things. We just kind of get lazy. This, the next generation, because of that laziness, the next generation doesn't know uh, Sikkim from Khmer. They're just, you know, uh, they don't know how all this works. All they know is maybe God loves us. Maybe God's nice. I'm nice. Let's be nice. And then you get to Osteen. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, be a better you, um, you know, how to have your best life now. Mm -hmm. And now we're not talking about God at all. We're not even in the sphere of religion, mm. much less of the gospel. Mm. 
So it's a gradual process. You see it with the mainline uh, denominations, you see it with the Roman Catholic Church, whole gigantic institutions mm. moving gradually away, taking first taking the gospel for granted a long time ago, and then substituting it with all kinds of erroneous beliefs. Here's the thing. Water only goes one way, downhill. And if we're left to ourselves, the only direction our hearts goes is down. The only direction our hearts will go to is, I'm pretty good. It's not as bad as the Bible says about me. I can pull this off. Hmm. If I just find the right guru or life coach or team leader who can who can empower me and give me the right tools and the principles for life i'm going to be able to pull this off mm. that's what my heart gravitates toward every single day yeah. i have got to have a pastor who really knows the gospel well and lives in it it's what he eats and drinks and breathes mm. i got to have him pull me out of that mess of my introspection and my pride every single week and i need it every day that's good you had mentioned that not all I, I what you said was huge for me because i always grew up thinking like i i had a if you will a 20 billion dollar debt because of my sin then then jesus like paid that debt but my that but my bank account was like zero and i think you even use this and if you like this you say the same thing in in some of your books but um but then I felt like, well, I need to read my Bible and that'll be like a $10 deposit, you know, and then I need to like, uh, you know, like be nice to the guy who cut me off and not flip him off. Yeah. But this, and that's 30 bucks. But the moment I mean to my wife, I drop down to zero again. But right. are you saying that like, our cup isn't just empty, but it's actually full with all of the righteousness that Jesus himself did? Like that's applied to me? Absolutely. It's, it's like, you know, your bank account is not just empty of debts. It's chock full running over with, with, with credit. You have Christ's righteousness imputed to you. Mm. If Christ lacks any righteousness, then of course your, your status is in jeopardy, but he Mm. doesn't, he's perfectly righteous and everything he is before the father. Isn't that amazing? Everything he is before the Father as the obedient Son is credited to you and to me. So I have been thinking about uh, this a lot, and I'm afraid, I'm curious if I wandered into some heresy. But (laughs) so if Christ's righteousness is given to me as a gift, can I look at And I just had this discussion with a few people and they said only Jesus's fulfillment of the Old Testament law is credited to you. But all of his amazing deeds, um, feeding 5000 people uh, moved with compassion, raising children from the dead. Are those actions credited to me also? And that would then lead to this crazy question is the full obedience of Christ to the father to lay down his life for us. Is that deed also credited to me? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. Um, now, I think that we have to be careful of looking this, at this in a sort of uh, uh, mathematical way. Um, you know, for instance, if Jesus had done one more good deed, would that be one more, you know, would that, that be 10,000 more points for the merit? <laughs> no, we, we actually, the point is that he was fully obedient, that he did everything the father commanded him to do that there was, you know, we find this phrase periodically in the gospels to fulfill all righteousness. Um, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, whatever the father told him to do, he did. He was obedient. It's not like, you know, he, he, he swept mom's floor and that, you know, sweeping God sees me as I, as if I had swept Mary's floor. Uh, the point is, I have a status of Got you. He all never said no. He just he 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 was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. He did positively, not just didn't sin. He positively embraced lovingly the Father and His will. He embraced His neighbor. He always he always loved his neighbor, even the people who were who were plotting to kill him. He, he threw his arms around his neighbor. He loved them enough to tell them the truth they didn't want to hear. All of that, that his status is well done, thou good and, and, and faithful servant. You, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And now, since I am united to him through faith, I am seen as having that same status. That's really the point. You know, it's not about frequent flyer miles. It's it's about a status. God sees me as if I had the the exactly the same status as Jesus because I do in him. That is it's truly good that is truly good news. So it doesn't yeah. depend on like cuz I don't love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. Um but we know that Jesus did and that that's, you know, that's applied to me and that that really that really is such good news because I'm often brought in despair. Um, I Now I'm going to share my potential heresy that I've been operating under. Maybe you can straighten me out. Um, I understand. So like this notion of forensic in a courtroom, if you will, that when the father looks at me, so I'll say the whole thing and then you can push back the heresy in theory. Couldn't I say I am his son with whom he's well pleased because I'm clothed with Christ. So it's sort of in that forensic sense, full pleasure um, even if I didn't do the things I was supposed to do or whatever. Um, and yep. if that is true, or even if it's not, what about this, this fatherly displeasure that I, we know we could grieve the spirit, you know, when I do sin. So are there two, is God looking at me at two different ways at, at the exact same time? Like in the forensic sense, then the fatherly sense, I I've been really trying to figure that out. It's not just a theological game. But every morning I wake up, I'm like, Lord, are, like, do I need to like read my Bible to impress you today? And then I go, no, no, because I'm clothed with Christ. Like Jesus read his Bible. So, I, you know, but then I'm like, but I was, I was really mean to my wife. Is he grieved? So I don't know how to think. Yeah. think. yeah very good question. I think there's a danger of confusing justification and sanctification not only in the direction of, I mean, the way we usually do it is we collapse justification into sanctification. 
kind of what you're describing as, you know, well, he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not on on, uh, what I'm doing. But there's another problem, and that is of collapsing sanctification into justification, as if because Jesus is my righteousness, I don't have to, I don't have to to be righteous. I don't have to do righteous things. Mm. Um, That is another danger that we have to avoid. Uh, Martin Luther said that we're like a drunk who falls off a horse and then um, gets up back up on the horse and falls off on the other side. That's how he described the antinomians, those who were against the law, that, mm. that having just been, you know, uh, uh, gotten back up on the horse, understanding Paul's doctrine of justification, um, they then fell off on the other side and, mm. and the other heresy. So legalism yeah. on one side, antinomianism on the other. Um, no, I think we say not because he sees me as having loved uh, 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 he sees, sees me as as if I loved my wife because Jesus uh, loved perfectly. We should say, because he sees me as righteous and just in Christ, I should live a life of obedience. I should mm-hmm. love my uh, love God and my neighbor. Mm-hmm. I'm free to for the first time in my life, not because of of guilt, mm-hmm. uh, but because. I'm already justified. I'm already adopted. I'm already accepted. So the difference I would say, Jason, is between God as judge and God as father. It's not that he sees me two different ways. Hmm. It's that he has two different offices toward me. Mm-hmm. He ha- he judges me. Yeah. And once he justifies me, uh, I'm declared righteous. He welcomes me into the family uh, he kills the fatted calf and puts his best robe on me and uh, has a party. And now, from then on, uh, I, I'm not a slave. I'm a son. And I darn well better act like it. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's uh, he, and, and, you know, he's not going to, uh, he's not going to cut me off. Mm. Um he loves me too much to let me go back mm. to the to the pigsty. He loves so me too much. There's this sense where I'm at the same time I'm a, a saint and a sinner, you know. So like, and then like you're saying, there's this off. There's those two offices of Jesus, which brings like wonderful wonderful clarity. So like despair is really never sort of in the picture, because and that is. Again, it's just good news. I did want to ask you a question. So right now we've been talking about like this sort of this, this aspect um, of maybe like imputation of all, all, all the righteousness, um, the active obedience of Christ. Um, I, I did have a question about like the, the punishment that Jesus undertook. So like he took the punishment that all of us on this call deserve and, and our listeners, um, those who put their faith in him. So so if the punishment that we all deserve is eternal torment, eternal hell. So there's three of us on the call. So that's three eternities of hell. Yet Jesus lived 33 years, dead for three and rose again. How can one, even a God man have, um, you, could, you could just assume the question, but how could he have taken care of even just three eternities 
um, let alone the billions of, of Christians that have lived and will live? Yeah, well, you know, this that question goes all the way back to Anselm in the 10th century and then be, long before that to Athanasius. Uh, it's... Um, it, it 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 is it is amazing when you think about the fact that we you know we had to have a savior who was human because humans had sinned it was adam who sinned not the angels so he couldn't become an angel he had to become human and he had to be the last adam he had to be not only the lord but the servant of the covenant who finally is the obedient human son on our behalf. But he also had to be God in order to pull it off. Uh, you know, he had to be, and that's the other, the other thing, a finite, a merely finite human life couldn't have paid for all of our sins and could not have brought justification. Uh, but he wasn't merely a finite human being. He's also God. So an infinite God brings infinite satisfaction, infinite act of obedience, infinite uh, sin bearing. Uh, he, he, he can bear an eternity of billions of hells in his body on the cross because he's God. What a good God. Yeah. <laughs> um. Can you, so justification is God's declaration that we have the status of Christ's righteousness. Is that a result of being in Christ? Can you explain justification as it relates to our union with him? Were we uh, justified and then God put us in him? Or were we placed inside of Christ and then justify? Can you explain justification and union? Sure, Joe. Yeah, this is, a, as you know, a big, a big um, issue and sometimes controversy. Um, I think a lot of times it's an argument over words. Um, I think we, I, I think that even a lot of people who, who um, might be sort of polemical on this point would agree that we are united to Christ through faith. So through that same act of faith, we receive justification, uh, adoption, the beginnings of sanctification, middle and end of it, and glorification, that when we're united to Christ, we receive everything that he is and everything, every good gift that he provides. I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Justification, sanctification, glorification. All of that I have because I'm in Christ, by virtue of being in Christ. It's because of Christ. Um, but just within that, and so that happens when we, if, if it's through faith, that means that it's, it happens with effectual calling. When the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel and raises us spiritually from the dead, we believe. And, and when we believe, we, we receive that, embrace Christ with all of his benefits. We have all of them together. So yes, I think that, that 
justification is one of those benefits that we receive in being united to Christ. However, justification is always the forensic basis for adoption, sanctification, glorification. Uh, think, of, think of, you know, adoption, for example. What's the first thing that has to happen in adoption? You know, uh, uh, think, of, think of a kid who um, has, has grown up uh, in a foster home and finally, you know, he's eight years old and he's finally getting adopted. Um, goes to court. It, it, there has to be a legal wow. uh, arrangement where basically he, is, he now becomes uh, legally a part of that family. Now, in, in the ancient world, this is what's really big. In the ancient world, there was no distinction between the rights of adopted children and natural children. If you were adopted you were in that person's ancestry.com all right you were you were that person's child it happened a lot of times with the caesars um you know you'd have julius caesar adopting octavius uh so that he could become the roman emperor he he wasn't related to him naturally but he adopted him um that's just the way adoption worked in the world of the bible in the world of the New Testament. So when it says we're adopted, we shouldn't think of it the way a lot of people do today. Uh, legally, if you're adopted, you don't, you don't come number three in the pecking order. You receive all of the same inheritance as a natural-born child. Now, here's the deal, though. You would never, in, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, you would never receive the same inheritance that the firstborn male son received. That's the difference. Whether you're natural or adopted, you would never have what the firstborn son would have. But when we're united to Christ, when we're adopted, all over Paul's letters, it tells us, we are made co-heirs. Yes. We actually have everything that the firstborn son has. And that is, that is absolutely astounding. But you can't go home. I mean, think of it this way. A, 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 young, a young boy or girl, uh, all that insecurity, does any, am I really loved? Finally, someone comes along and adopts me, but am I really part of this family? Mm. What's their la- What's their name again? And you know, start meeting the the grandma and grandpa, and start you know the brothers and sisters. Is this really my family? This seems so new, so odd to me. Is it real? How do you know it's real? How do you know that you will inherit everything and that you belong in this family? Mm. Because it went to court. Because there are signatures, because there are stamps and seals, because legally that cannot be taken away from you. And so this is the why we need the legal basis for our personal relationship with the Lord. And people talk, say, oh, no, it's not legal. It's about a personal relationship. Okay, well, you, good luck with that, because you'll have no security 
in your relationship with the Lord unless it's based on law, unless, unless it's based on the fulfillment of the law. I thought you were going to start singing Amazing Grace in Latin right there. Thank you, preacher. Thank you, preacher. Thank you, Lord. Um, I Here, you know, you that segue into the, this next question, this notion of relationship um, and this courtroom thing. And um, so here it is. Do we, and this is going to, this going to fire everyone up, even just the way I word it, it's going to sound anathema, but do we overemphasize the gospel? And here's what, here's what, what, like we're saying, do we ever overemphasize the gospel at the expense of what the gospel is unto, right? And if, is it unto, for example, is it unto a relationship? Uh, maybe, right? So like, Joe brought up this amazing analogy that blew my mind one day. So if it's heresy, it's his fault. But uh, Joe said, said like, I love, I love my wife. We got married. We had that special day, you know, 10 years ago. We, we've got the rings. We look at the pictures. Um, but now, we're, and we celebrate that day. And every day we're marked by that day. But we, now we go to the beach. Now we work together. Now we have kids. Now we move for, move forward with it, not away from it, but because of it. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's, well, that's why the Bible uses these images. Uh, comparing marriage to the relationship of Christ and his church and, and using adoption as an image of our relationship with Good. the father. Um, these are all marriage is another example, right? So, uh, you know, I don't need a piece of paper. I just, I just really love her and we're going to live together and so on and so forth. Um, well, again, you know, good luck. Uh, you, you know how those usually go. They don't always, but they usually, uh, go sooner or later, usually sooner. Uh, people go their separate ways. There's nothing holding them together. Now, the problem today, of course, is that marriage doesn't mean very much to people. But when it did, it meant that there is a legal covenant that has gone into effect. I am yours. You are mine. We made vows in sickness and in, in, in health, in, in uh, ups and downs, um, Good times, bad times, we are married regardless. We're married regardless of the good or the bad times. That trumps everything. Mm. And so we live in an age where we just, ah, who cares about the legal, uh, just as long as you love each other. Mm. Well, does this guy really love you mm. if he won't commit to you in marriage? Does the father really love us if he doesn't actually marry us to Christ? Does Christ, our, our, the husband and head of the church, does he really love his body? Mm. If he isn't united to that body legally as well as relationally, mm. there can't be a relationship, whether it's marriage or adoption or whatever. There can't be a relationship that isn't grounded on the security of a legal binding that's covenant. That's good. And that's what we have to have in the gospel. That's it's powerful. It, it, it gives us freedom and rest to walk forward in that for the it beach. It does. 
It does because as we, as we know, I assume uh, from what you said that uh, all three of us are married. Um, I, it, it's uh, not always a walk on the beach. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I'm speaking for myself. Uh, it's not always, uh, you know, uh, um, blinking lovingly looking into each other's eyes. There are quarrels, there are disagreements, there are differences. What would I do if every time I had a disagreement with my wife, she had a disagreement with me, Mm. we just said it's over, it's done. There are times in good marriages where it could be over if it rests on you. But there's a legal covenant Promises were made, vows were exchanged. And it's not because, now, now this is what's different in our relationship with Christ. It's not because of vows I made. It's because of vows he made. In the upper room, Jesus didn't say, as Moses did at Mount Sinai, splashing the blood on them, in accordance with all your promises, this we will do. And he splashed the blood on them and said, Jesus is in the upper room. And he says, this is my body shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. Drink all of it. This is my body that I'm going to break for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And when he died, his will went into testate. And now what are we doing as preachers? We're, we're simply lawyers showing up to read the will every week because it's so long. So many gifts of the inheritance. Read the will. <laughs> read the will every week telling, telling the family as co-heirs of the firstborn son what they've inherited. So good. Thank you. You, you're just, you're preaching it preacher. Um, (laughs) We're almost out of time, man. It's such a bummer. We had 48 others, but um, sort of last question for you is what is, what is the, the divine Trinity's motivation behind this? Why, why do they seek, why does God seek to justify us? What's, what is in it for him? Well, all we know in scripture is that God does everything for his own glory. Mm. Um, you know, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that as Paul says in Romans five, that, uh, he loved us even while we were enemies, even while we were enemies, he justified us. Mm. Um, so it's God's love, but ultimately I think it's his glory. Um, God loves us so much he sent his son because ultimately it glorifies God to love us. Mm-hmm. It glorifies him. Mm-hmm. It, and the, you know, creation is wonderful. What God did in creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. This creature, uh, in, any, in, in many ways, not different, that different from the animals, And yet the image of God, God talks to him and he talks back to him. There can be conversation. There can be, that is wonderful. That is what a, what a deal God did there. That's a miracle. That's amazing. What's even harder, what's even more amazing is 
that God has created out of sinful human beings, Mm. children and co-heirs of his son. God gets glory. God gets more glory out of redemption than he got out of creation. Dr. Michael Horton, brother, thank you. We want to highlight that starting March 2021 around the country, the White Horse Inn will be launching Modern Reformation Weekends. So every year they're going to have a different theme or topic. And this year, the first year, um, they're going to cover the topic of justification using your uh, two-volume work for that. So you could go to modernreformation.org and like look under events for that. Um, If anything you got interested in hearing this today, go check out their podcast. It's literally, it's so good. It's, they, you've been doing that like as, so long. I think since 90, 1990, was it? I, w- I'm, I think I was eight, you know, <laughs> I, it, it shows my age, but it's been, thir- it's been 30 years. Yeah. That's insane. Um, thank you, Dr. Horton. Um, I see that um, for those of you who can't see Dr. Horton's library is behind him. And it's really good to see the book that Joe and I co-authored back there, Theology for the Minivan. Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> he has many books. Hey, Dr. Horton, is there anything else in the works that, that you've got coming up that we could get excited about or jump in on? Uh, no, well, one, one that I will start, I haven't started yet on fear, because I think a lot of Christians right now are afraid of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we fear tells us what we love. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, a book on Fearing God, how fear, the fear of God drives out the fear of everything else. Nice. All right. Well, everybody, um, like we said, we're giving away three people are going to win um, each, going to win the two, two volumes from, uh, uh, for his justification set. Dr. Horton, you preached it. And we appreciate it. <laughs> we look to the Lord in gratitude because of you. Thank you. Hey, Jason and Joe, it's been really wonderful. I look forward to, to uh, seeing you in person one of these days. Yes, it will happen. We came for salvation, we came for family, we came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away, we came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to lead.